But we always remember that we're not worshipping Islam. We're worshipping Allah. Islam is the path to Allah. And sometimes you find people who worship the path. And the path becomes a veil before God. They tend to be people who incline towards being harsh. Why aren't you doing that? Very harsh. They forget that the sunnah, the prophet, peace be upon him, left us with, is to be a mercy to all worlds. Not people you like. Not Muslims in your tribe. Not a particular sect. Not, you know, the madhab you follow, but to all worlds. I believe everybody has a story. And Dhani has been all about these stories coming from opinions, personal experiences, life lessons, and so much more. And somewhere along the lines, we find ourselves being part of these stories or they being part of us in nooks and crannies, in crumbs, in echoes and reflections. I'm in conversation today with A. Halva, who believes that every single person on earth is deeply loved by the divine. She's a writer who has inspired thousands of readers through her passionate, poetic and love-based approach to spirituality. Her popular blog, Quran Quotes Daily, was established while obtaining her Master's in Divinity as a means of helping others overcome personal and spiritual struggles on their journey of experiencing divine love. This podcast um, requires silence and silence within and silence around you to really, really let the wisdom and words of Helva absorb in you to make sense and you might want to return to this podcast again and again because it will make sense to you in different facets in different ways in different parallels Helva thank you so much for being on Dhani completely completely um elated for you to be here thank you thank you so much for having me i'm really looking forward to talking to you especially some of the questions that yeah it sounds very interesting ideas so am i and uh, as i was just telling you before we sort of started the recording that for all this time i was following you on instagram and it's only much later when i uh, came across your book that i um, realized that the same that you know the book, your book called The Secrets of Divine Love that I sort of realized that you and the blog were the same people. So sort of diving right in, you um, have a passion for coffee and <laughs> for climbing mountains and uh, being um, out in the open, nature. And then you've also written a book and you have been helping people since the last 15 years to draw out a path towards divinity hmm. and as you say um, as it says on your website as well and in your bio as well that there is um, your approach to spirituality is that of love um, and passion 
Yeah. So, so divinity is spirituality? I mean, that's my first question. And then, um, are there any other ways apart from love towards spirituality? It's a wonderful question. So, um, in my experience, in my life experience, it was through attraction of love that God, I feel, pulled me to closer proximity to Him. And as I started to study the different world religions on my sort of journey of return, so to speak, I started to see that there's a thread between all of them that was love. It was that indescribable, incomprehensible, hard to pin down feeling that everybody on some level has felt to some extent. And it was through that, that indescribable gravity, that I found myself in closer proximity to the divine. And so for me, I feel like the path that I've given was just as a reminder that God loves every single person, every single one, regardless of the life they've lived. And that mm. the variability in the, our experience of divine love is based on our actions. But the outpouring of divine love is unconditional. And so when we talk about spirituality, those is the question is, what does that mean? So for me, what spirituality means, it's the path of the spirit. And since mm -hmm. sort of my belief has led me, my life has led me to this belief, I feel like it's an innate belief that the spirit comes from love. And so in order to return to its origin, it has to go back through love. So for me, that's mm -hmm. always sort of been my understanding. So um, your book is called The Secrets. So is there actually a secret path for hmm. for us to begin that search as you said to go back because we are we've been sent to actually go back Good sort question. of difficult to comprehend that how are we going back because that path will differ for everyone yet we all know that perhaps we, deep down, like really, really, in the hearts of the heart, deep down, we are all in search of the same thing. It's what are we in said. search for? Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderfully said. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say that, you know, it's interesting to consider that as grand as the ocean is, it's lower than the rivers. And in its humble position, it receives all the water coming from the mountains. And the rivers may, mm -hmm. you know, go left, go right, and they have different shapes. They all sort of end at that ocean. We could call it the humble ocean. And so I feel like our paths are different. They look different. They feel different. But the course is the same, you know, in the Quran, God says, if you're running away from death, you will not profit. But really that death is the death of separation. Everything is moving towards unity. 
And so when we talk about that search, that, that path that we have, that, that seeking, it all looks different, but its core, its essence, is that of humility and surrender. And the interesting thing, the secret, what is the secret path? What is the secret of divine love? And I feel like as I've sat with it more and more, it's become when you're nothing, you really let go of all attachment. You're able to receive everything. It's the empty cup that becomes full. It's the broken mm. one that experiences, experiences the healing. It's the one who is lost to themselves, who lost themselves, that they find guidance. And that's part of the secret of, of divine love. It's in the humility. It's in the surrender. It's like Rumi says, you've been harsh for so long. You've been stony for so long. Why not try being crumble? Why not try surrendering so that the wild flowers can grow where you are? There is this call to return to the softness that is the essence of the human being. And that's why Beautiful. in the Quran it talks about this notion that hearts become stony, that when they veer away from their essence, they become hard. But their essence is soft. It is that soil. And at the end of it, some of us are seeking to reach heaven, which is a grand intention. But in reality, it's not just the reaching for heaven. It's the reaching to become that garden on earth, to become a reflection of heaven on earth. So our calling is so much deeper than a future far in the distance. It's in the present now. You spoke of to let go of attachments. So to let go of the attachments of the world, which would include everything that has been granted to you, family and uh, friends, house, food, money, education, like everything. Are we looking to detach ourselves from that? Hmm. Are we looking to, as you said, detach ourselves from the notion of reaching heaven because you have to sort of act here in this world? As you just said, so what are we looking to detach from? It's a great question. Ayama Mali uh, says detachment. It's not that you own nothing, it's that nothing owns you. Mm. So the mm. reminder that you can have beautiful things in this world, but where do you put them in your hand or in your heart? And there's a story of a, a sheikh, and he was, he was wearing this beautiful uh, silk robe and this really nice turban lived in a nice house. And so um, a student was sent to him um, from his master and said, you know, the next station of your learning is through the sheikh. So he kind of went and he was wearing a itchy wool garb and he was dressed like the ascetics or mystics of that era, kind of didn't have much, etc. And he went to the sheikh and 
He said, how are you my master? You are a rich man. And the sheikh looked at him and said, you know, the problem is when people look at you, they see neediness. When people look at me, they see the bounty of God upon me. So I reflect that quality. He paused and he went further and he said, the silk on my body doesn't distract me, but the itchy wool garb you wear makes you proud of your station, mm -hmm. that you're doing this for God. And so kind of um, off the bat is identifying that you could be attached to the, to the hard things in life too because it fits your story. Um, mm -hmm. And so he was establishing that teaching for everybody by wearing the silk and living in a mm -hmm. nice house knowing that tomorrow if they went away, he'd be okay. How you just see that as another reflection of another series of God's qualities. And so um, I think when we talk about attachment, even attachment to Islam itself is an attachment. And so sometimes in saying that, people think it's a provocative or a radical statement. But in reality, we have the story of Moses where Allah is telling him, you know, take off your shoes, step into this holy, sacred ground, you know, the fire. Um, and, and some scholars have said that Moses was asked to take off his shoes, each pair, one pair for this world, and the other representing the afterlife. Like, take off your attachment to outcome. <laughs> and others say that shoes represent walking. Take off your attachment to the path itself. So as Muslims, it doesn't mean that we don't pray. Of course we pray. It doesn't mean we don't follow the Sharia, the law. Of course we do. But we always remember that we're not worshipping Islam. We're worshipping Allah. Islam is the path to Allah. And sometimes you find people who worship the path. And the path becomes a veil before God. They tend to be people who incline towards being harsh. Why aren't you doing Very harsh. They forget that the sunnah, the prophet, peace be upon him, left us with, is to be a mercy to all worlds. Not people you like. Not Muslims in your tribe. Not a particular sect. Not, you know, the madhab you follow, but to all worlds. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to follow in the footsteps of our prophet, peace be upon him, we must be a mercy to all worlds. And that's our calling. And so the attachment to a religion too much prevents us from seeing that every single person is a creation of God, regardless of what they believe. If we believe that God created them and every single moment sustains them, then our response to them must come from that belief, not from what they believe. And that's one of the things that attachment can sometimes prevent us from experiencing. So now I understand when you say uh, love-based approach to spirituality. So we are uh, we're, we're out on a search. Are we walking in that search or that path towards a beginning 
or towards an end. Great question. We and sorry, to... one more thing. It just mm -hmm. an extension or maybe another pronged that sort of fork. But how sort of do you know that you're on that right path? Because the river could go sort of go into a tributary and end up in a muddy lake, which goes doesn't end up in an ocean, right? You know, it's interesting because um, how do we know it's beginning or an end? So the human being is put into this world of duality. Adam is in the garden, and Adam and Eve are in the garden. Going back to the quote unquote origin, and Satan says, uh, paraphrased, come eat from this fruit, and you could live forever. Right? That's the that's mm -hmm. the trick he uses. You could live forever and be like the angels. So Adam reaches from the fruit. Adam and Eve reach for that fruit, and they eat it. And then what happens after? God says, down to the earth, you and Satan, and essentially down and go die, because now your life, you were in the garden, never spoke about you not having eternal life in that space, and you assumed it wasn't, now go down where you die. And so what's interesting about this is, Adam reached for eternal life. And actually, Allah is giving it to him by saying, mm -hmm. go down and die, because now eternal life matters. Without that death, it doesn't mean anything. You know, mm -hmm. if you were never broken, what would wholeness mean to you? If you were never separate, what would unity mean to you? So that duality, human being who's made a form, put into time and space, Duality is how things come and make sense. You can't see unless darkness and light weave together. Because in True. the pure light, you can't see. And in the pure darkness, you can't see. So what happens True. is our spirit, which is this mysterious entity, is put into a being, this case, this vehicle that's based in space and time. So when we talk about a journey of return, we're inclined to speak of beginning and end, here and there. But for the spirit who will transcend the body, who will leave behind the dense form that's stuck in here and then, mm. it's not quite like that. The journey almost is a circle. It, it is always the beginning and always the end. Um, you are exactly where you're meant to reach. And the reason that is, is because God. you are you in this moment. Have the breath of God in you. You know, Rumi has this poem. He says, fish in the water. I've been sort of obsessed with this particular poem, but it's the fish in the water swims around the water saying, ob, 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 you know, the you, if you say that word, ob, your mouth makes what fishes look like in the water. Yeah. But in the language he writes, which is Farsi, ob means water. The fish is swimming in the water, searching 
but that which is already in. Wow. <laughs> of course. We, yeah. We human beings, right? We move this world saying, God, 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 searching for that which we already are in the presence of. Incredible. God's not yeah. a form, right? God's not a form. He transcends time and space, and yet is closer to you than your jugular vein. The paradox Indeed. of his proximity and quote-unquote distance, not distance as in far from us, but this um, beyondness of him, right? It creates the space where everything has a reflection or is in existence because God said be. And God's saying mm. kun or be every single second, smaller than a second, for everything yeah. to hold its shape. So mm. when we talk about the search, the search is from you to you, from Allah to Allah, from this moment to this moment. There is no space and time to travel. Mm. And that reminder is important for us because we have this notion that if I just go to the mountaintop and meditate, or if I just go into the mosque and pray, or if I just go to the monastery for retreat, then I will be close to God. Of course those things help because you can silence the mind, praying is helpful, but you take the peace you have to the mountaintop. <laughs> you will not be I agree. Yeah. different than you are right so mm -hmm. the point is to remember that the search is inside it's inside mm. so you can begin at any moment and even you're being alive you're already walking so sort of coming back to my same question so how do you know that you are taking the right path when you're going inside of yourself? Because you can very easily get distracted or get involved uh, by the various forms of your ego or your nerves. Or you could be taken away or sort of, uh, you know, how that Velcro is sort of uh, scratched away uh, into um, a complete conundrum of your own thoughts, which which will not enable you to go inside of yourself. Does it? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Kind of, <laughs> so if I understand, it's like, how do I know that I'm walking the path and not just perhaps an illusion or stepping off the path? And yeah. What are markers in a way? Right? Mm -hmm. So this is where uh, I would say, that knowing the sunnah and reading the Quran becomes important because it frames mm. the path for you. When you're walking mm. and you're not sure, right? When you have the Quran as your companion, when you're walking and you can say, oh, and verse of the Quran comes to you, when you have the sunnah, when you study the way the Prophet, peace be upon him, lived, or the righteous woman of the past lived, you have context. And I think a lot of times when we don't have that, what we do is we look to those around us, you know? And I think one of the biggest, I think, uh, 
know, things to avoid is comparing ourselves with other Muslims or other people around us. And the mm-hmm. reason is because comparison leads you away from having your eyes on the path in front of you. Sure, it takes you of course. from a place of focus on your faith to a place of judgment mm-hmm. on others and then eventually judgment mm-hmm. on yourself. So when we really want to walk, we want to first say, it doesn't matter if people around us are not doing these things. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do less of what I'm called to do because when I compare myself to others, I feel like I'm doing good, right? We want to compare ourselves to the Ahl al-Bayt, the companions, the Prophet, peace mm-hmm. be upon him, knowing, of course, that our station is so far away from those stars in the sky and yet we still want to shoot in that direction and so to know we're on the path means to understand that islam the purpose of islam is to pave that path for you to fan the flames of iman or faith is what keeps you pushing on that path you need both the path on its own with no walkers on it no significance but Mm. it needs to be paved and then we have the iman like an engine that keeps us walking right we need those two and then of course ihsan is such a high station but regardless it's that thing that keeps us our heart our mind our thoughts everything aligned as we're walking right so Mm. we need these three depths within the faith and i always say Islam is like a container. But without water in a container, it's not very useful. The water sure. is iman, is that faith. Right? So you, you need both. And, and, and if you didn't have a container, you could only carry so much water in your hands right? without mm-hmm. it slipping through. It's mm-hmm. just combination. And so a lot of times when we talk about spirituality, especially in the new age, there's this inclination to remove the laws. Because the ego doesn't like them. Remove the container, remove the barriers. Problem with doing that is you can be in the spirit, you can feel the presence of God, but you have very little guidance as to what to do with that. And the attraction to the ego, masked as a spiritual being, is very difficult to see when you're in it. And you yeah. need that consistent. And that brings in that third element of your own companions. Who is around you? Who is around? Are they inspiring you to do less because you have inclined towards comparing? And you realize, oh, I can, do, I can do less. I don't need to wake up in the middle of the night. No one else is doing it. Or are they mm-hmm. the type that pray two hours in the middle of the night where you're like, hmm, maybe I should wake up and do some vicar. And I'm like, wh- where are they pulling you towards? So for me, I always say this is the, the best of the faithful are my friends. I'm not the faith like that. I don't consider myself this wonderfully practicing perfect Muslim. But I am grateful to have people around me that are like that. And so every day they inspire me to a new practice, a new push, a new contemplation. And so that is 
that village really is a significant influence. So I'm, I'm really for it because I see myself and I see my friends and I really see that impact it has had on me. So actually, I think you've answered my next question because it was going to be that what sort of tools are we looking to have in our toolkit to uh, embark or sort of um, embolden the search because even consciously or unconsciously, we are on the path. And you uh, and you just said that it's the Quran, it's the Sunnah, and then it's your companionship and it's the people that you are surrounded by. So these are the things that you have to have and what you need to get rid of is comparison mm -hmm. with others and the mysteries of the nafs which you need to sort of detach and surrender and not attach ourselves to the outcome. Is that yeah. correct? That's a, you did a wonderful job. Um, reflecting those those things and I would just say one thing about detaching from the outcome that's really hard so people mm. don't give a lot of attention to that but Allah says in the Quran I am the owner of the outcome yeah. the position of the human being is to strive but a lot of times mm. we tie our action our striving and how hard we work to the potential of getting what we want. It could be a good thing. You know, it could be raising funds for a new mosque. It could be giving to charity. It could be our children becoming more faithful as we have them in you know, Sunday school. Whatever it is that we're praying for, that we're striving for, that we're seeking, the human being has this inclination to say, why God? That was a good thing that I was reaching for. Mm -hmm. And we have this inclination to, to interview more, more question, interrogate God about why things didn't work out the way we planned. Which the more we look at our plan, the less we're aware of his plan. And the more we're looking at our striving and how hard we work, the less our eyes are on his blessings, his generosity, his mercy. And if we're looking at ourselves, we're missing out time and opportunities to witness God. And that's the real loss of being outcome obsessed is in our laser focus on what we think is best. We miss out on experiencing what God is making in the moment, in the process, in the in-between. Because see, our life isn't birth and death. Right, you know when mm -hmm. you go to the um, cemetery, you see a dash <laughs> between a birth and a death. Mm -hmm. That dash mm -hmm. is your life. That's where you live. We don't live mm -hmm. between. Des we don't live at destinations. Our life is primarily in the in between. And a lot of times, in our in betweens, we're rushing towards a destination. And even in you know writing this book, people said, "Oh." How did it feel to be done? It was one second. <laughs> submit. That's so for three years we're working towards a submit button. It's not very satisfying. We have to find a way where every moment we're like, wow, it's 
just blessed to do this work even if it never comes out. Because guess what? Allah sees me. He sees every sentence every late night. He sees every attempt at making it good. He sees every draft and every edit. So, you know, early, even as a side note, like talking about outcome obsessed is, I struggle with this. So I kind of know from a feeling at the end of the drafts of the book I would write, I would put my will. And I would send it to a bunch of friends. And I thought, you know, if I die or something, they'll probably open this email at one point and they'll go down maybe to the end and they'll see I have like laid out how to how to publish this book and who to trust and who to ask questions from. And I had like willed it to like certain friends and certain teachers to like come in and the obsession with outcome. I like really felt that. I was like, oh, what am I doing? it's not meant to come out you know like Allah has his plan he doesn't yeah so it's a it's a deep teaching about outcome it's worth contemplating when we're starting projects by Allah it's funny the prophet peace be upon him makes the emphasis on intention not on outcome sure but then the intention has to be uh, prostrated sort of together with action no as you said uh, when you when you when you started talking, that actions um, is uh, what we'll be judged by. Absolutely. Well, the Prophet peace be upon peace be upon him said, "Intention, you will be judged by the nature of your intention." And the thing about an intention is, a true intention, it comes with action. You know, it's it's like saying, "I love you," "I love you," Saudi. But I'm not willing to do anything for you. The truth of that intention is manifested in my action. Right? Correct. And so we, in a, in a true intention, we see that action in it. Right? So we have a lot of, there is a new age that says, God loves me, and I love God, and he knows that, and that's enough. But we wouldn't do that with the most basic human relationship. Now you would, if your husband tells you, I love you, and then tomorrow cheats on you and says, but I love you. Like, why does it matter what I'm doing? And you would mm. say, oh, how do I know you love me if you're not loyal, if you're not committed, right? Yeah, of course. You couldn't know that. Totally get that. Yeah, so yep. it's like there's this level of, yeah, intention has to come with action. And that's an important thing, especially for this generation, I think. This generation has an inclination towards freedom. And freedom is mm-hmm. defined as no boundaries. But anyone who studied psychology knows that boundaries create freedom. And that's like a whole other world of topic. But when we don't know that, we're like, oh, I just want to be your Andrew, whatever I want. Not realizing that that freedom actually puts us in a prison of the nafs, of the ego. It's true. So what's true that? freedom yeah. comes from boundaries. Right? So. But yeah, I know that's a totally different topic. <laughs> so. Wow, wow. Uh, okay, two things. One, uh, uh, as you said, that's a totally different topic and I would love to tap into your mind and your heart and your words for that topic. And two, I have goosebumps. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, three, thank you for this absolutely thought-provoking and heart-wrenching, at least for me, um, conversation. Um, 
clarity for some, perhaps, uh, some listeners, and uh, perhaps a stepping stone for some. Uh, but Helva, it's been beautiful, beautiful talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on and um, for having a wonderful conversation. And I've always learned from my teachers that the answers come with the questions. So if an answer is uh, satisfactory, you always give credit to the one asking because it's like the heart that asks, that desires, that seeks, like in, inspires an answer from an unknown place. I don't know Thank where you. those answers come from. So <laughs> I just want to say you're seeking genuine love and uh, the sincerity is like felt so strongly through the call. So I just, I'm really, really grateful for having this time to speak with you and learning from your questions and your thoughts. It gives me a lot to think about. So thank you for that. Wow, that's a compliment. Ever thank you. And listeners, in the show notes, you have um, the website address and the book is also available on Amazon. Um, so, so go have a look and go follow uh, the IG, um, the Instagram handle as well. I have been following it and it's truly, truly um, an uplifter. In fact, Helva, yesterday, uh, what you um, posted was beautiful because I think that it was sort of just exactly a message that maybe God was sending me. Hmm. And um, let me, let me read it out. Yeah, so he is breaking you to heal you from the perfection of Allah's Ihsan is that he allows his slave to taste the bitterness of the break before the sweetness of the mend. He does not break his believing slave except to mend him. And he does not withhold from him except to give him. And he does not test him with hardship except to cure him. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> thank you and you take good care of yourself. And thank you for your time. Thank Take you care. so much. Assalamu alaikum.